your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2? Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians is in the old, is in the New Testament, sorry. It's in the New Testament, sort of in the, the, the middle of your New Testament, second half of your Bible. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 to 10. And uh, man, that water was cold. Uh, I'm going to drink some water, which thankfully is not nearly as cold as that. But actually it was okay. It was actually not too cold. Uh, and uh, praise God, uh, we are into uh, a brand new season here at Thrive. We're going to be launching something very, very special. If you've been following our website and our Facebook announcements, you know that you're expecting a big announcement today, and we're going to be giving that to you just in a little bit. But we're going to start this morning by looking at a very important passage. We actually looked at this passage a couple weeks ago. We're just going to start here. We're not certainly going to end here, but we're, I want to I touch on this to begin with because it has something to do with what we're talking about this morning. Look at Ephesians 2, 8 to 10 with me. Could you be a great church of participants and not spectators this morning and help me read the word of God together right now. It says, one, two, three, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Keep on going, not by works so that no one can boast. Stop right there. Go back to verse eight and say it one more time. What does it say? It says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Everyone say by grace. grace. See, the Bible says that you and I are saved by grace. What is grace? You maybe heard the song, amazing grace, how sweet this is. What is grace? Grace is the undeserved, unearned, unmerited favor and goodness of God in your lives. And, And this is the thing, is that the Bible says that it is by grace that we are saved. It's not because of our good works. It's not because of our performance. It's not because we think we're good people. It's not because we try to do good that we're saved. It's because of Jesus Christ and the grace, the undeserved, unmerited goodness and favor he showed us when he died on the cross for our sins. If you believe that, say amen. And in fact, that's what makes baptism so special. It's not, you know, Frank or, 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 or Kathy or Robert or, or Brandon going up and saying, look how good I am. Look how good of a Christian I've been. It's not about that at all. In fact, it's the opposite. They're saying, it is by grace that I've been saved, and I receive that grace today. If you believe that, say amen. To your neighbor and say, it's by grace. And that's what makes Christianity so unique. All other religions, they'll tell you, it's all about what you have to do to earn God's favor. God says in the Bible, you already have my love. You don't have to earn it, but you need to receive it as a gift of grace. This is what salvation is all about. It's a gift by grace, not by works so that no one can boast. But see, our understanding of these verses would not be complete unless we looked at verse 10. Look at verse 10. What does it say? Read it with me. It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to. Church, are you guys awake this morning? Yeah? Can you read it with me one more time? What does it say? It says, For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. See, what is it saying? See, you are not saved by your good works but you are saved to do good works. Amen. You're not, just, you're not saved by the work that you do, but God saves you by grace so that you can do good work that God prepared in advance for you to do. Last night, my wife and my son and I were all having dinner, and my, my, my son, he just turned six years old, and he's got all sorts of good questions that he likes to ask all the time. And one question he asked us over dinner was this. He said, Daddy, if God wants us to be in heaven... Why doesn't he just let us go to heaven when we receive Jesus? 
Why doesn't, and that's a good question. Why is it that when, why is it that the moment you receive Jesus Christ into your life, why doesn't he just take you to heaven right away? Or why is it that the moment we baptize, you know, any one of our friends this morning, why is it that they didn't evaporate in the water and go to heaven right there, right there and then? Why do they not disappear? Why is that? Let me tell you why. I said, hey, Bradley, it's a good question. What do you think? And he said, is it because of A-E-I-O-U? That was his question. That was his answer. And he, I said, Bradley, you're absolutely right. It's because of A-E-I-O-U. It's because the reason why God doesn't take you to heaven the moment you receive Jesus, the reason why God doesn't take you to heaven the moment you get baptized, is because he's got plans for you on earth. He's got good works that he created you in Christ Jesus to do long before you ever even thought about him. In other words, you weren't created by Jesus and saved by Jesus for your sake alone. You weren't created by Jesus and saved by Jesus for your own own happiness or your own comfort, but it was because God had plans for you to be a blessing to others. If you believe that, say amen. Another way I like to put it is this, is that you are saved to serve. You are made to make a difference. You are blessed to be a blessing, and you are born to be a leader. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're born to be a leader. You are saved to serve. You are made to make a difference. You are blessed to be a blessing, and you are born to be a leader. That's why you're not in heaven right now. It's because God has plans for you to love him, to worship him, to grow more like him, to serve him with your talents, to lead others to Jesus, and to love his spiritual family, to be a leader who leads others to Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. In fact, Matthew chapter 5, 14 to 16, this is Jesus talking, and he says a very similar thing. What does he say? Read with me in loud voice. It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. Keep on going in the same way. Let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father who is in heaven. See, Jesus, get this. These are Jesus's famous words. One of the most famous words that Jesus ever spoke. He's speaking to a big crowd of followers, thousands of people who are listening to him, listening to his words, hanging on his every word. These are people with ordinary problems like you and me. These are people with uncertainties in their future. These are people who are bogged down by stress and busyness. These are people who might be lost and looking for direction. And Jesus says to these people, these people who are stressed, busy, overwhelmed, he says to them, he says, you are the light of the world. In other words, Jesus, he's saying you matter to God and God has plans for your life. That you have a vision for your life. God has a vision for your life that is bigger than what you're living right now. You are the light of the world. Turn to your and say, you are the light of the world. And just as when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's really, you know what he's doing? In a way, he's comparing you to the sun. The sun, that which gives light to the world. You know, my, my, my son, Bradley, he's, you know, really into planets right now. He's studying all these things about Mercury and Saturn and Venus and Jupiter and Uranus and, and the sun. And he's so into the sun. And, and we started researching about all these things that would happen if the sun disappeared and how life would be gone. Like, you know, life, would, life on Earth might, might, might happen for a little bit more, but eventually it would become cold and dark. And I'm here to tell you this, just as the sun brings life, heat, provision, warmth, energy, heat, illumination, joy, and color to this world. You are the light of the world, and God made you to bring heat, warmth, life, joy, color, illumination, provision to this, to this planet called planet Earth. If you believe that, say amen. 
and it's not for yourself. It's not so that people can look at you and go, wow, you're so good. Wow, you're so powerful. Wow, you're so pretty. Wow, you're so good looking. Wow, you're so smart. Wow, you're so talented. It's not about your glory. It's so that people can see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And see, because you and I were made to be the light of the world, because God calls his followers the light of the world, today we are launching something very, very exciting that uh, we are getting ready to announce to you right now. Over the next five weeks, we're doing something incredibly exciting here as a church together. And to tell you a bit more about it, I want you to turn your eyes to the screen right now and check out this video right here. Let's check this out together right now. Job. That was so, so cool. And, you know, I, you might be wondering, why, why does Pastor JB keep on dressing up and changing clothes right now? I feel like a, like a bride at a Chinese wedding. I have so many dress changes today. But here, here's the thing. The reason why I'm changing clothes and showing you what's going on this morning is because today is the official launch of God Loves Vancouver 2018. Give God a big hand, a big shout here in this place right now. Come on. And what we're doing over the next five weeks is we, as a church, we're going to get out of the four walls of our church building. We're going to get out of our comfort zone. We're going to get out of our bubbles of selfishness and comfort. And we're going to go and we're going to serve the city in ways that we haven't in the past. And we are excited for God Loves Vancouver. I want to say God Loves Vancouver. And you might find on your chairs this morning uh, these these beautiful handouts that you have that are for you to take home. Do you guys have that? Do you mind just showing me right now? If you got just like just wave in the air a little bit for me like this. Fantastic. Fantastic. Looks like it's an old school stock exchange right now. That's really cool. And, and, and here's the thing is that these handouts are for you to take. The first one, this yellow one right here, is giving you a little summary of nine initiatives. Everyone say nine. Nine events that we are holding over the next five weeks to help us as a church community engage, reach out to, and love the people in our city. We've got, you know, different things going on. There's, you know, a, a meal we're serving at the food bank. There's a water distribution event at the SkyTrain stations. There's a city cleanup. There's a kids event called Kid Power where we're doing crafts for uh, the, the seniors. There's an afternoon movie uh, event that's going to be happening uh, as well. There's, you know, a chance for you to give blood. There's a, a a thrive run. Everyone say thrive run. In fact, that Thrive Run is the grand finale of GLV. And what I'm going to ask you guys to do, in addition to Thriving Families, which is a really cool one, Gifts Against Violence as well, in addition to all this stuff, I wanted to let you know this. I want you to look up right here. Is that you're going to take this card this morning, and your job is to sign up for some events. And in fact, I'm going to give you a challenge, Thrive Church, that over the next five weeks, I want each one of you to be participating in at least three initiatives, three events over the next five weeks. And it could be any one that you want, but I encourage you to sign up and sign up today. You can use that beautiful Thrive Church pen on your, on your chair, and you can sign up and let us know uh, how to reach you. We'll be sending you information there. In fact, you can go to thrivechurch.ca, or you can go to projectglv.com, and it'll give you even more information about each one of these nine ways that we want to bring hope and love to our city. Is that cool? Is that exciting? Can we give God a big, big hand here in this place right now? We're super excited. You guys don't sound that excited. Are you guys excited? Praise God. 
We are super excited for what God's going to do over the next five weeks in our church and through our church. And uh, we want to encourage you to sign up for it. The Thrive Run, by the way, is the grand finale. It's on May the 27th. And whether you're a runner or not, uh, this is something that I don't want you to miss because it's our grand finale. We hope that at least the Thrive event will be one of the events that you take part in. We want the whole church to go and do this together. It's a 5K run or walk. And so you can run it if you're keen to do so. You can walk it. You can jump it. You can hop it, but don't skip it. Amen? Amen? Turn over and give him a high five. Don't skip it. Don't skip it. But you can run it. You can walk it. And uh, we can even give you one of these. Uh, I, I think they're on sale at the Welcome Center this morning. These beautiful, do you, do you guys like these beautiful uh, GLV shirts this year? This year? Isn't that kind of cool? Under the hot lights. It's awesome. Fantastic. Praise God. We are so excited for GLV. And so, but it's, it doesn't mean anything at all. All the cool videos, all the cool promo stuff we're doing, the cool t-shirts, they mean nothing unless you participate. They mean nothing unless you sign up. And so, would you do that this morning? In just a little bit, we'll be collecting these sign-up cards later on in the service. I'm going to ask you to sign up for three initiatives that are going to enable you to make a difference in the lives of people in our city. If you're excited about that, give God a big, big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Welcome to GLV 2018. Turn neighbor and say, God loves Vancouver. I am excited. I usually am, but I'm especially excited, if you can't tell, for GLV. It's going to be an amazing five weeks together. And since this whole season at church is about reaching outside the four walls of our church, it's today we're starting a brand new sermon series as well. We're doing a lot of stuff this morning. We baptize people. We're starting GLV. We're also starting a brand new sermon series this morning. And if you're wondering what the sermon series is about, here's, a, here, here's the sermon series for you. You can write this down. The, the, the sermon series that we're starting today, I call it Street cred. Everyone say street cred. So I'm like, what's street cred? Have you guys heard the term street cred before? You know, you know the, the first time I, I heard the term street cred, I was living and working in Taiwan. And uh, my wife and I, we had this contest going on, which is to see who can go home first. Because we both had very uh, heavy, uh, you know, highly, uh, you know, uh, you know, b- demanding jobs. And so we, we had a lot of overtime that we'd work every single day. Uh, and I remember one time, instead of racing to get to see who, who gets home first, uh, you know, I decided to go and visit Pastor Charlene at her uh, advertising firm where she was a, a, a high-powered executive there. And uh, while she was there, I, I sat in one of the chairs and I was listening to the latest Destiny Child's album. Do you, do you, know, do you guys know Destiny's Child? You know, like, uh, you know, like uh, what's it? Say my name, say my name. You know that one? Or like, uh, I don't think you're ready for this. You know, that kind of stuff, right? But, but there's was, there was another song that, that they had. It's number one hit of theirs. It's called Soldier, where Beyonce, uh, I think her name is Kelly Rowland, Michelle Williams, they're singing the song describing the kind of boys they like. Right, they've got a checklist. It's why single, do, single people have a checklist of what you're looking for. Uh, and, and, and in that song, one of them says uh, about, about, about this ideal guy that they're looking for. She, she, she says, a rude boy who's good to me with sweets. Or a rude boy who's good to me with street credibility. Right? A rude boy that's good to me with street credibility. Everyone say street credibility. And I was like, street credibility, what's that? Street cred, what's that? And for some reason, that word stuck with me. And just earlier, even this week, I was was talking to a good friend of mine who grew up in what is uh, historically known as one of the tougher, rougher neighborhoods in the U.S. And I asked him, hey, when when you hear the word street cred or street credibility, what, what do you think about? And he said it really simply. He said, street cred is a reputation for toughness. 
street cred is about being tough and being known for that. And then later, just a few minutes later, he sent me a text showing what he thought was a best way to explain and define what street cred is. And, and, I, and I liked it so much, I, I, I revised it a little bit, but this is it, is that street cred is having a reputation for being tough. It's about commanding respect from other people. It's about being relatable to others. It's about having resources that enable you to succeed and persevere in your environment. It's about your reputation. Everyone say reputation. It's about commanding respect. Everyone say respect. It's about being relatable. Everyone say relate. And it's about having resources to succeed and persevere even in a tough environment. That is street cred. Everyone say street cred. And I thought to myself, you know, even though I'm, you know, this preppy Asian boy who grew up in, not in the hood, but I grew up in, you know, very livable Vancouver, I thought to myself, man, street cred, that's exactly the kind of leader God wants his people to be. Amen. That God wants his people to be relatable. He, God wants his people to be you know, tough and have a reputation for being resilient. God wants his people to command respect that when people see your good deeds, they praise the, your father in heaven. Not they see what you do and go, ugh. Or they see what you do and go, I'm confused. But they see your good deeds and go, I respect you. And I respect what you believe. And having resources to succeed in persevering environment, that is street cred. And that is what God calls us to be as leaders in this world. If you believe that, say amen. You were born to be a leader with street cred, regardless of whether you're black or white, Latino, Asian, whatever background you come from, regardless of what neighborhood you grew up in, whatever country you were born in, whatever kind of fashion sense you have, you were made to be a leader who has a reputation for being tough for being strong, for being capable, resilient. Someone where people look and go, I respect what you do. I might always agree with it, but I respect what you do. I respect what you believe. You were made to be a leader with street cred. If you believe that, say amen. To your neighbor and say, you look like you have street cred. Amen. Amen. Do you? Do you? See, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, let your light shine before men, I believe that in many ways, he's talking about the qualities that a leader with street cred has. And see, being a leader with street cred is not having all these crazy stories about all the tough times you've gone through. It's more about your character. It's more about your credibility as a leader. It's about being tough. It's about being resilient. It's about being someone that others can respect. How many of us want to be a leader with street cred, amen? So want to be a leader with street cred. More than ever before, our city called Vancouver needs leaders with street cred. More than ever before, your family and your home needs leaders with street cred. More than ever before, our church needs leaders with street cred. More than ever before, your community, your school, your workplace is in need of leaders with street cred. If you believe that, say amen. And so that's why in this leadership series called Street Cred, we're talking about becoming the leader you were born to be. It's a leadership series. Our vision as a church is to be a church of A-E-I-O-U leaders. And that's why we're talking about street cred. I hope you're going to join us for every week of the series. Because if you do and you apply and take to heart the lessons we're learning together about leadership, I believe something's going to happen. Is that your home is going to be different. Your marriage is going to improve. Your, your friendships are going to get sweeter. Your relationship with your kids is going to get stronger. Your workplace, your, your school, your community is going to be impacted in a positive way. And so I hope you join us for every single part of the series. This morning, I'm just laying a bit of the groundwork for the series. We're going to build on top of that with every week of this next few months, of the, these next several weeks. But today, uh, are you guys excited for street cred? Is this helpful? 
We're going to get into this right now. I'm just going to lay a really quick foundation for this morning. See, this morning, as we talk about street cred, I want to talk about one of the biggest killers of street cred. One of the biggest reasons why people don't become the street cred leaders that God made us to be. And see, what is a street cred killer? A street cred killer is a bad habit or it's a character weakness that we have that without us knowing or not, it affects our credibility. It affects your ability to influence people in a positive way. And if, if you don't do something about it, people are not going to follow you the way that God made them to follow you. And see, it's a lid on your leadership. The street cred killer that I want to talk about this morning is something called selfishness. We're, today we're talking about selfishness. I hope you take some good notes this morning as we quickly go through the first street cred killer this morning. Selfishness. What is selfishness? Maybe you're like, I know what selfishness is. I found a really good definition for selfishness in Google Dictionary, which is a, a pretty good dictionary, actually. Selfishness, why don't you read this with me, and you can write this down as well. Selfishness is lacking consideration for others, and being chiefly concerned with one's own personal happiness and comfort. Let me ask this question. Do you struggle with selfishness? Deep down, are you a selfish person? See, in case you're not sure, or in case you don't believe you are, here is a little selfishness test for you this morning. Is that okay? I'm going to give you a little test, all right? No, some of you guys just came out of exams. Don't freak out, okay? Don't worry. This is just a simple test between you and God just to see where do you stand in the area of selfishness. I'm going to give you nine or ten clues about what makes a selfish person. These are not all the ways that we can be selfish sometimes, but these are a few. Let's see how many of these you can relate to. Clue number one, when others ask me to help, my first instinct is to say no. Sir, do you have any change? Sorry. Sir, can I have, no, sorry, I'm busy. When you think of, you know, people asking for help, you're like, sorry, that's not, that's not my problem, that's not my job, someone else will help you, or you find an excuse for why you can't do it. Is that you? If that's you, then give yourself one point. Clue number two, I find it difficult to give without expecting anything in return. Is that deep down, whenever you give anything, whether it's volunteer service or money, deep down, you expect something back. Deep down, it's almost like the, expect, the expectation for something in return is sometimes even the very reason why you do it. It's not because you're really there to give. It's because you really want to receive something, and that's why you give. If that's, you, if that's you, then give yourself a point. Oftentimes, you're thinking to yourself, you know, what's in it for me? When people ask, can you help? Oh, what's in it for me? Is it going to help my resume? Is it going to help me get to that position that I want to go to? And if that's you, give yourself a point. Clue number three, I'm quick to excuse myself for not doing the right thing. So, oh, yeah, I did. I promised I'd be there, but I was just really mad, so I didn't go. Or, or I, I, I said I would do that, but, you know, I, I'm just so tired, so I, did, I just didn't do it. And, and, in fact, I remember back in high school, I used to listen to this song by a band called DC Talk. Have you heard of DC Talk before? Uh, DC Talk, they had a song, uh, you know, called, called, like, Be the Light. And, and there's this part where he says, I am the king of excuses, right? He's ta talking about, you know, being someone who's just very good at making excuses. No matter what the situation, no matter who's asking, the, your first instinct is to come up with an excuse for why you didn't do it. And that's why you did it. If that's you, then give yourself a point. Number, clue number four, I often act without considering the feelings of other people. You'll, 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 you'll do this or say that or you won't do that, or you won't say that, because you're just, not, you're just kind of thinking about yourself. You're not really thinking about others. And when other people are impacted, oh, you didn't show up today, why? Oh, I, I, sorry. I, uh, uh, I, I, and, and, and you start doing number three, you start coming up with an excuse. Clue number five, when people ask me how I'm doing, I don't reciprocate their concern. Hey, how's it going? Good. And go in. Hey, how are you doing? I'm good. 
and, and just go on. And, and, and you know, sometimes, I, I, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm just like surprised at the, the, the kind of people that I need to talk to about, hey, reciprocate the concern. Like, hey, when I say, how are you doing? Ask it back. It's okay to ask back. How are you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Right? So some people are still needing to learn that. And if you are someone who's kind of not really learning that yet, then give yourself a point. Clue number six, I'm more interested in God blessing my plans than discovering and following God's plans. Is that you're like, you know what, God, this is my thing. This is what I want to do. This is my direction for my life. Bless it. Please bless it. And when things don't happen, you blame God and say, why didn't you bless it? And you're mad at God. Oh, I'm not going to follow you anymore. And instead of thinking, God, my life is in service of you. You are the center of my life. And so I'm going to follow what you want to do. And so you're the, you're the first situation, not the second. You're more interested in following or, or having God follow your plans than you follow God's plans. If that's you, then give yourself a point. Clue number seven. I'm not that concerned about the well-being, whether it's the spiritual well-being or the physical well-being or the emotional well-being of the people around me, people at work, people at school. You kind of just go and do your thing. You don't really go out of your way to bless or serve others unless it's your job or unless someone tells you to do it. If that's you, give yourself a point. Clue number eight, I often do the right thing but with the wrong attitude. You know, your, your, your job is to wash the dishes and then you're just like kind of griping and grumbling and complaining under your breath. Why do I have to do this? And you're throwing a pity party for yourself. Oh, my life is so hard. And I'm like, why, why, well, how could I say? In all these different languages, you can throw a pity party. You know, you know, and you, you, you guilt trip people when you are serving them. And, and you, you make them feel bad for all that you're trying to do for them. And you make it seem like it's such a burden and inconvenience to you. And so you're doing the right things, but you're just doing it with the wrong attitude. If that's you, give yourself a point. Clue number nine. This one is for Christians, all right? Christians in this place is I don't tithe. Is that, you know, I, I know the Bible talks about tithing. I know the Bible talks about, you know, our, our, first, the, our first portion of wealth that we receive, we give that to God. We give one-tenth to God. That is not a tip. That is just what we owe to God, and that's what we owe to, 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 to give into our church, and, and that's what we do. That's what Christians do, but no, not me. When I've got maybe some extra cash, and they'll throw in a quick 20 bucks or a quick 100 bucks in here, yeah, you know, I'll, I'll just, you know, when, when, when I've got some more, then I'll maybe give, you don't really tithe. And you don't really trust God with your finances. If that's you, then give yourself a point. Clue number 10, I'm often more concerned about how others are serving me than how I'm serving others. Is that you? You're often thinking to myself, why didn't he treat me that way? Why does he talk to me that way? And you're not really thinking of how I can bless that person, how can I serve that person, but you're just more kind of just inward focus, focus on yourself. Wow. Let me ask you this question. You, know, you don't have to raise your hands. You don't have to tell me what your score was. But how many of you guys think you struggle with selfishness? <laughs> well, I don't think I'm the only one in this place. Um, the fact is this. I find that selfishness really is a limit on our leadership. Amen? Amen. Four ways that selfishness limits our leadership. Let me tell you them right now really quick. Number one, selfishness makes you insensitive to the needs of others. That, you know, selfishness is a form of tunnel vision. Is that you're so focused on yourself, you don't even see the needs of other people. You don't even think about the feelings of other people. And when you don't see the needs, you can't lead people. Selfishness makes us insensitive to the needs of others. Number two, selfishness hurts your reputation. Is that one of the first things that people will remember about you when they think of you today and when they think of you on your dying day is how selfish or unselfish you were. Not how talented you were, not how much money you had. Those might be passing things that they talk about, but the thing that's going to rest with them is, was this person a selfish person? Was this person an unselfish person? Number three, selfishness blocks God's blessings. You guys know that? 
Selfishness blocks God's blessings. You will still be blessed by God. The fact that you've got breath in your lungs is a blessing from God. But you're going to find that when you struggle with selfishness, and when selfishness is a big issue for you, you're going to find that God's blessings, you tend to miss them a lot more than you have them. Whereas unselfishness attracts God's blessings. Look at James 4, 3 together with me. This is an important verse. 1, 2, 3, it says, read it with me. It says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. In other words, you might even pray to God and ask God for things, but the Bible here is saying that's maybe the reason why you're not receiving that blessing is because of selfishness. See, the irony about selfishness is this. Selfish people, when I'm selfish, I'm just interested in getting ahead. I'm interested in promoting myself. I'm interested in me, blessing me. But in being so interested in me, I fail to become the person that God wants me to be. And as a result, I miss out on all the blessings that God promises to those who will seek his kingdom first. Amen. And that's what happens when we struggle with selfishness. But on the other hand, when you live unselfishly, it attracts God's blessing. Amen? Is that when you live your life to say, God, I put you first, I want to live like Jesus did and put others first, all of a sudden you're going to find that you are more blessed than the person who's always thinking about himself. Look at Proverbs 11.25 together with me right now. What does it say? It says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Are you guys awake in this place this morning? It's a bit hot in this place, is it? Yeah? You can feel free to spray some water on yourself like this if you want. But the fact is this, is that here we see that generosity, unselfishness results in blessing. Could it be that the best thing that you can do for your depression right now could it be that the best thing you can do for your frustration right now? Could it be that the best thing you can do for that broken heart or that worry that you have today or that hurt that you carry to this day is just to not focus so much on yourself, but to focus on the people around you and do something to bless those people? Amen. Because Proverbs eleven twenty five says, the generous will prosper. Those who refresh others will themselves be refreshed. Number four. Nothing touches others more than unselfishness. Nothing repels others more than selfishness. See, when you think about the most heartwarming moments with people in your life, chances are the reason why that moment is so touching, chances are the reason why that person has made such an impact on your life is because of unselfishness. And nothing touches a person more than unselfishness. But see, on the other hand, there is something repulsive about selfishness. Amen? Amen. There's, when, when a person is acting selfishly, there's something that makes people go, I don't want to be around you right now. I don't want to work with you right now. I don't want to live with you right now. I don't want to be married to you right now. I don't want to be investing in you right now because they perceive you as being selfish. And in fact, that's not just a people thing. How many of you know that's a God thing as well? Do you guys know that? See, the thing is, don't get this wrong. God loves you no matter what. He loves you unconditionally. But when it comes to becoming the leader that God made you to be, he looks at how selfish or unselfish your heart is. Look at Revelation chapter 3, 15 and 16 with me. Read it with me, big, big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, I know your deeds, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Wow. He's saying, I know your deeds, and I don't like them. I know your deeds, and you guys are not living the way I want you to live. I know your deeds, and you are being selfish. And because of that, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. You know, Revelation 3.16 in the message translation says it even more abruptly and directly. What does it say? It says, read it with me. It says, you're stale. You're stagnant. You make me want to vomit. That sounds like a, a song that you could hear here on the radio. You're stale. 
you're stagnant. You make me want to vom. And, and that's the thing, is that have you ever tasted something so gross that you need to spit it out? Has that ever happened to you before? Have you ever you know, you know, tasted something that's just so disgusting that a few months ago, uh, you know, my, my, my wife, my son, and I, uh, you know, Pastor Char Bradley and I, we, we were having dinner, and, and we decided for some reason to do this wasabi eating contest, right, where, where whoever lost the competition, we did rock, paper, scissors, whoever lost the competition had to eat this big glob of wasabi. I end up losing. I end up putting this big glob of wasabi in my mouth. I tried to be tough. I tried to be, you know, street cred, right, and I just tried, tried to put it in my mouth, but after about five seconds, I'm like, oh my goodness, I am about to explode, and then I just had to spit out, it was disgusting, it was disgusting, you know, and, and, and you know, it was one of those times where it was like, it, it was just, I wanted, I wanted to vomit, and, and there's another time when I was at a popular restaurant in the city, eating with my cousins, and uh, we were sharing a basket of french fries, any like french fries here, french fry fans here, and you know, my, my younger cousin, she's eating french fries with us, and then she places one in her mouth, when she realizes it's not a french fry, you know what it was? It was a used Band-Aid. And she's like, uh, uh, and she spit it out from her mouth, and, and, and we told the server, and she was, this is, this is a popular, famous restaurant in the city, but you know, we're, I'm not going to disclose the name. And, and they said, and this is like years and years ago, and they, they came up to us and they said, one of the, one of the servers, and she, 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 she was like, she's, she's like so bent down, and was like, I'm so sorry. Is there anything that we can do to make it up to you? And then we're like, no, no, we're okay. No one's hurt. It's a fine. And then, you know, I, I was really, I, I found it really funny what she said now. She's like, are you sure? Because that was really gross. <laughs> and, uh, and, there's, and, and she found, like, oh, can we offer you like a free mud pie? And we're like, and you know, you know, you know me with ice cream. I just couldn't, I was like, yeah, sure, sure, we'll, we'll take a mud pie. We'll take a mud pie. And, and, and that's what they won for our non-disclosure. And so that was, that was basically it. And, but see, this is the thing. It was a gross moment where she had to spit it out of her mouth. But can I tell you this? As gross as those things might be, can I tell you something that's even more gross to me? It might be gross to you, and I think it's gross to God. What's more gross than eating a fried Band-Aid that's used? What's more gross than having a gob of wasabi in your mouth? What's more gross than all of those things is a talented young person who is selfish. A talented young person who is selfish. Can you get an amen? Some of you are like, oh. And this is the thing. Here at Thrive, we say there's only three ages here at five, Thrive. You're either 8, 18, or 28, no matter what your birth certificate says. So we're all young. We're all young. But the fact is this. Tell me, person, give them a high five and say, you look young. But the fact is this, is that one of the things that grosses me out, and one of the things that I think actually grosses God out from a leadership perspective, is a talented young person who is selfish. Um, you know, I, I don't have time right now to, to go through uh, a couple stories with you about, uh, you know, some interesting experiences I've had uh, with talented young people. But I can say this, is that in my lifetime, especially in the context of serving in churches, uh, I've met and worked with many, many young people. Some of them are awesome. In fact, some, so many of our young people here at Thrive are some of the most amazing young people I've ever worked with. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. We've got some amazing, amazing, come on, you can you know, be, you give them a big, big hand, big shout in this place. That includes you as well. Give them a big, big hand here in this place right now. But, you know, in, in different churches that I've served in different places, different countries, I find this, is that there is something that separates the good leaders from the bad leaders. There's something that separates, you know, those that God uses in a very powerful way from those who fade out and fizzle out very, very soon. And it has nothing to do with talent. 
and has everything to do with how selfish or unselfish their heart is. It's nothing to do with talent. It has everything to do with how selfish or unselfish their heart is. It's about, you know, how focused is this person on building the team and serving others versus building their own kingdom and serving themselves. And see, how many of us know that God builds his church on unselfish people? Amen? God builds his kingdom on unselfish people, people who are unselfish with their time, unselfish with their talents, unselfish with their money, unselfish with their encouragement, but the ones who are always kind of what's in it for me, or they're always looking to promote themselves, or, or looking for, you know, how they can get ahead, and, you know, maybe it's in terms of, you know, their job, or their career, or making a certain amount of money, or getting a certain amount of possessions, it's just, they're just, just kind of focused on that, and as a result, it's like, they might be hot for a little bit, they might be passionate for a little bit, but then because they're kind of just self-centered, and kind of selfish in their heart, they're just kind of going in another direction such that God can't really use them. And I can say this about myself as well, is that the moment I let selfishness get the best of me, even this past week, the moment that I let selfishness get the best of me, that's the moment I stop leading. That's the moment I stop loving, whether it's in my family or it's in my workplace, it's my city, it's in my church. If you believe that, say amen. And when I act selfishly, it's a little bit of what Jesus says, is that it's like you take the light that he's given you and you cover it under a bowl. You know, how many of us know that selfishness is a lid on your ability to lead? Selfishness is a lid on your ability to lead. It's like your leadership ability will never be higher than your, than your selfishness or how unselfish you are is that you will, your, your, your leadership territory, if you want to expand your leadership territory, it's about learning to be more and more unselfish. And, and see, how do you stomp out selfishness? Let me just end today with a couple ways you can do that. Number one, the greatest antidote to selfishness is drawing close to Jesus. Jesus, he's the greatest leader who ever lived. Even though his public ministry just lasted three years, no human being ever made an impact the way that Jesus made an impact. No movement has lasted as long as he has. He has no, no one has anywhere near the number of followers that Jesus has. No one on social media, not even close. No one is quoted more than Jesus is because Jesus is the greatest leader who ever lived. And one of the things that made Jesus such an amazing leader was that he was unselfish. Jesus was famous for, you know, giving in times and in situations where people would not even think about giving. He's, he's teaching a big crowd of people for the whole day. And then people are thinking about going home now. And he's, he's like, oh, phew, that was a long day. Good job, Jesus. Good job, Jesus. And Jesus is like, let's give him something to eat. Let's serve him something. They're, these guys are hungry. They've got a long journey back home. Let's serve him something. And they think, what? Are you serious? And, and it's because Jesus had an unselfish heart. And notice he didn't just do it once. He did it twice. He did it repeatedly. You know, when someone just does something once, you're not really sure why they do it. But when they, when they keep on doing it, it goes to show they've got an unselfish heart. Amen. And, and he would serve people in ways others wouldn't dream of. He's like, Peter's like, Jesus, you are, you are my master, my Lord, my teacher, and you're washing my feet? What, 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 this doesn't make any sense. It's because Jesus had an incredibly unselfish heart. And in the most unselfish act in all of history, Jesus nailed himself to a cross to pay for our sins. Because Jesus is so unselfish. If you believe that, give Jesus a big, big hand here in this place right now. That is your Savior for you and me. Look at Philippians 2. 
three to five together, reading a big loud voice. One, two, three, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. How do you guys know the more you draw close to Jesus, the more you will live unselfishly? For example, you know, in, in the past while we've baptized you know, a number of people, and I remember one of them was sharing with me about how he came to know Jesus. And I asked him, you know, what, what made you come to know Jesus? And he said that, you know, you know he, he hadn't been a Christian, but he knew these friends of his who were married, and he just saw when they became Christians and they started to take their relationship with God seriously, all of a sudden, not just their relationship with God changed, but their relationship with one another changed. Their marriage became so much more peaceful, so much more joy. They're so much more loving and considerate toward one another. And he's just, it just got me curious. And so I started going to church and I started, you know, exploring Christianity. And when I received Jesus Christ in my life, I experienced a peace that the world has never given me. And, and, and all of a sudden now, when, when I relate to my wife and when I relate to my kids and my family, I, I see the difference that Jesus is making in my life is that I become more considerate of people. I become more humble toward them. I, I'm, I'm quicker to apologize when I make a mistake. I'm quicker to serve people even when I'm tired. It's because the more you draw close to Jesus, the more you live unselfishly. If you believe it, come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now because that's what Jesus does in your life. The more you spend time with Jesus, the more his unselfish character rubs off on you. That's why spending time in church, having a game time where you spend time with God every day is so very important. If you believe that, say amen. Number two, make the choice to live unselfishly every day. See, how many of us know that unselfishness is not a feeling? It's a choice. And in fact, Luke 9, 23, this is Jesus talking, and he says this. He says, then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you have your Bibles in front of you, why don't you underline or take a picture of this verse, and you can underline those words. Take up your cross daily. Everyone say daily. Say it again, daily. Is that unselfishness is not a feeling, but it is a choice that you make every day to say, God, this life is not about me. It's about you. I'm not the center of this world. It's you. I'm going to live my life for you. And see, unselfish, you can find, is going to be like a muscle. See this next bicep right here? Okay. See this? It's like a muscle. Is that, show, show this side too. Yeah, see this? Here's the thing. Is it unselfishness like courage we learned last week, like faith we learned you know, a number of months ago? Unselfishness is a muscle. You don't wait for the feeling to overcome. You go, oh, I just feel so unselfish today. No, but rather you take the, you make the choice to say, I'm going to be unselfish today. And the more you do that, with every step, with every situation, that muscle grows. Look at Matthew chapter 16, verse 24. What does it say? It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Praise God. Last point, and we're going to close. Number three, if you want to stomp out unselfishness, the fact is this, for the day, for as long as we live on earth, we're going to still battle unself, we're going to battle selfishness. But these are three ways that we can wrestle with selfishness and get the upper, uh, the upper hand. Number three is this, work with your church in reaching others in need. How many of us know that when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's not talking to you individually. He's talking to his church. He's talking to a group of people who've decided to follow him. That's Thrive Church. Amen. He's talking to a group. He's talking to a group of followers saying, you guys together are not lights. You are one light. 
You are the light of the world. In fact, why don't you read with me Matthew chapter 5, verse 14 to 16 as we end this morning. What does it say? It says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. See, because you and I, we are the light of the world, Jesus says. That's why today we're starting something called GLV. Everyone say GLV. Thrive Church, it is time to practice unselfishness. It is time to get out of our selfish bubble. It's time to get out of our comfort zone. It's time to stop being a spectator who just watches others and to step into our destiny as participants and leaders in God's kingdom. It's time to serve people like we've never served them before. It's time to be the light of the world. It's time for GLV. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand, a big shout in this place right now. Come on. I said, give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now. Amen. And, you know, I, I, I'm no rapper. I, I, like, I, 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 can, I can, like, gift rap a little bit, but I, I don't, you know, rap. I don't bust rhymes and stuff. But there's one, I guess, thing that my, my son and I have been saying kind of this past week as we've been getting ready for GLV. And he's one of my, speaking of unselfish, he's one of the, you know, biggest encouragers in my life. And, and, and we came up with a little poem together. Can I share it with you? All right, it says this. It's about GLV. It says, I'm not here to live this life as if it all revolves around me. And I'm not here to turn a blind eye to those who are in need. And I'm not here to watch others do while I miss my destiny. But together with my family, together with my family, that's why I'm signing up for this thing called GLV. Amen? Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I'm not here to live this life as if it all revolves around me. I'm not here to watch others do while I miss my destiny. And I'm not here to turn a blind eye to people who are in need, but together with my family, together with my family. That's why today I'm signing up for this thing called GLV. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. It's time to sign up for this thing called GLV. Would you stand up to your feet right now? To your neighbors on your right and your left and front of you, behind you, give them a high five and say, it's time to sign up. It's time to sign up. Turn to someone else that you haven't high-fived and say, it's your turn. Praise God. I'm going to ask the, the, the band to lead us in the song. Has this been helpful for you guys this morning? Have you learned something this morning? Praise God. I'm going to ask our team to lead us in the song right now. and We're going to respond to God, and we're going to get ready to sign up for this thing called GLV. Let's respond to God in this place. What an awesome morning we've had with baptisms, launching GLV, a new series called Street Cred, a leadership series. Let's end off our time together singing this song. We're going to collect offering, do announcements. Let's do this all together in response to our most unselfish God. Close. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to invite you to respond to God here in this place this morning. Today we've been talking about how God made you to be a leader with street cred, with a reputation for being tough, resilient, someone who's relatable, someone who commands others' respect, someone who has resources and strength to persevere through any environment you may be in today. And if you're here in this place and we're talking about this one street cred killer called selfishness and you realize that you struggle in this area, you realize that there's a certain part of your life where selfishness is a major issue and you want to stomp selfishness out, you want to ask God for that help to stomp out selfishness in your home, in the way you relate to your spouse, 
in the way you relate to people at work, in the way you relate to people, you know, in your small group or wherever it might be. And you want to just be here today to say, God, I need your help in this area. Make me a leader who's unselfish. If that's you in this place, then would you raise your hand to God on the count of three as our response to God? And we're just gonna say, God, I need you and your help in this area. Why don't you raise your hand on the count of one, two, three. Just raise your hand to God right now. Just raise your hand to God right now. And I just invite you to start to talk to God. I've said a lot this morning, but I want you to start to talk to God yourself. In your own words, start talking to God. And to say, God, I admit that I struggle in this area. I pray and give you thanks that you will give me help. Why don't you start talking to God in your own words right now. Give that situation to him today. That situation where you're tempted to be selfish. Why don't you give that to him today. Give him that situation where you struggle with selfishness. Give it to him today. Just start talking to God right now, church. Talk to, talk to God in this place right now. He's with you. He's listening. He loves you. Don't worry about what your neighbor's saying. You just focus on him right now. You focus on him right now. Just start talking to God this morning. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Father. Thank you, God. Why don't you repeat this after me, those who have your hands raised. Just raise your hands high to heaven as you pray this. You can say, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father. Thank you for being the most unselfish one. The one who loves me so unselfishly. Even when I'm selfish. I admit that I struggle in this area. I don't want selfishness to be a lid on my leadership, to be a lid on my relationships. Help me, God, every day to take up my cross and to follow you, to be unselfish with my time, with my talents, with my money, with my words, with my encouragement that just as you went out of your way to love me unselfishly, may I go out of my way to love others unselfishly. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Can we give God a big hand, a big shout in this place right now? Lastly, if you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then you can pray this prayer right now. You can say, Lord Jesus, thank you that you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. I receive you into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Give God a big, big hand here this place.